What? 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 No, Jesus. In the butt? In the fanfic. Welcome to A Star to Steer Her By. This week we are doing a famous 10 forward episode of our fanfics. These are my favorite weeks, everyone. Our favorite time of the year is when we do our fanfics at, at the anniversary time. This is fanfic number 21. 10, 10 forward 21. Damn it, you're right. It is 10 forward number 21. <laughs> it's old enough to drink. Like fanfic 6 or something? 5? Five? 5. This is fanfic 5, which also wow. means this is... Guys, this is our fifth anniversary of doing this stupid thing. Can't Holy believe we made shit. it this far. Wow. And we'll be doing it for another 30 at least if they keep yeah. putting out more shows. Yeah. Oh yeah, almost certainly. Five yeah, so years? Paramount's actually paying attention to the anniversary this year. Well, well I thought you were going to say they were paying attention to our, our anniversary this year. I mean, I should hope so. They should, because this is going to be a good week. This is going to be yeah. a great week for us. This is our uh, the fifth year that I've been doing this. My name is Ames. My name is Caitlin. My name is Jake. I've been doing this for six years somehow. This is Chris. Oh no, Chris is stuck in the time loop. Shit. Or I'm meeting up with Kelsey Grammer. Oh no. Nice. All right. So as as you all have noticed in the past couple of weeks, we finally finished. All of Deep Space Nine, including the documentary, including a whole bunch of stuff. Go listen to our wrap-up episode. We had a lot of very big opinions with a capital O in there. And we I like had to a capital O. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> and Peace. we like to we like to finish things off by doing fanfics. These are our Deep Space Nine fanfics. We picked names out of a random thing generator. And we wrote all kinds of things. That's a weird thing for you to call James. He's been on the podcast so many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout out to James Rossi who helped us do our random picks because we couldn't pick them out of a physical hat. But I think this is going to be super, super fun. Let's kick it off. I'm going to hand this off to Caitlin. Woo. Uh, I'm not going to do my usual thing where I apologize. I'm just going to dive right in and uh, I'll apologize at the end instead. Uh, You're going to tell you, us who your picks were. I was just going to ask you if you wanted me to. I'd like do to it. know. Okay, so I picked Kyle Paca and... Damar. Damar, thanks. Couldn't remember his name. Had a moment <laughs> there. Had a senior moment. I hope I hope his literally, name is correct in your story. I was going to say, I literally just wrote it down like 16 times, so I don't know how the fuck I forgot it. That's one of those things. All right, here we go. Bear Woo! with me. You ready to be underwhelmed? Never How are we going to be underwhelmed? You've much. been working on this for more than five minutes. Yeah, it's true. But all of the work, as I was just telling you guys, I just rewrote the whole fucking ending like in the last 20 minutes. So it's like I only worked on it for five minutes. 25 minutes. The bipedal humanoid grunted with displeasure as his shovel hit something hard. Heh <laughs> Damned lava rock, he cursed, pick, pulling a pick from where it swung at his belt and kneeling. Every damn time I think I've made progress. 
He braced himself and took a firm swing at the as-yet-unseen rock using all of his strength, and the pick shattered, a bright light emitting from below. What the devil? He shrank back, falling onto his buttocks and looking on in terror. What witchcraft is this? He looked around for his companions, yelling, Darv! Grecon! Those are names I made up. (laughs) (laughs) That's not on the page. (laughs) Just telling you. (laughs) The two... Okay. The two other men approached, shovels resting on their shoulders. Oh, as they approached, good writing, asshole. Treve, what the hell is that? <laughs> asked one. Darv, as he jogged up. Don't get any closer, said the one called Grecon. The Kai should see this. I don't blame you for being scared, my friends. Some time has passed, said Kaiopaka warmly. Oh my god, a warm smile crossing her broad face. Who wrote this, a two-year-old? Such a thing has almost certainly never been seen by the Ennis or Saul Ennis before. Truth be told, I'm not sure how it came to be here. But what is it, your eminence? asked Triev, fear assuaged but replaced with distrust. This is what the Klingons would call a time crystal, <laughs> said the Kai, reaching out with a shawl-covered hand to lift it from the ground. It's very special, very powerful, and must be put away where it can do no harm. I will store it in my quarters under lock and key. And who knows, one day the prophets may reveal their purpose in sending it here to me. Spoiler, they're going to. (laughs) Opaka, also not on the page. Opaka woke from her dream with a start and sat bolt upright in her simple cot. My lady, what is it? Came the gentle voice of the former Kai's trusted servant, Selene. I've had a vision. For the first time since I arrived here, the prophets have reached me, and they've shown me what I must do, said the Kai, rising from her bed and moving to her modest dresser. Come, girl, help me put a few things together. The fate of my entire home quadrant could rely on my actions in the next few days. The confused girl rushed to do his bidden with a murmured yes, milady, and helped the Kai gather her few traveling necessities into a bundle. As she did so, Opaka crossed the room to the one lavish item in her home, a small, elaborately decorated box, tightly locked, its contents hidden from view. She drew a leather cord from under her robes, revealing a series of small keys. I must ask... I must ask for your complete silence, child, the Kai whispered. The mechanism in this box needs concentration and precision. An incorrect step in the unbinding process could cause the entire place to go up in an explosion you cannot imagine. The girl's face paled as she watched the Kai, gently inserting key after key, twisting them each to measured intervals, her hands quick and meticulous. As the lock sighed and released, the Kai kissed the keys and whispered, Thanks be to the prophets for their guidance, before removing the box contents. What is it, guys? It's the time crystal. Oh! Yep, surprise. But your eminence, protested Treve, one of apparently only four people on this fucking planet. How will you get there? And how will you return? And how will you keep us from all dying? The prophets work in mysterious ways, the Kai said hurriedly. Besides, with the aid of a time crystal, surely all will be well. Now never fear, since I'll be using the crystal to stop the flow of time on this planet, I'll literally be back before you even realize I've gone. Now we've gone elsewhere again. She watched from the shadows as it all played out, saying a silent prayer to the prophets for their guidance. Kostomojin, come to me, I await you, said the voice of Kai Wynn. But the wraith did not want Wynn and threw her against the rocks. Passing her by just as the prophets have, thought Opaka, just like Caitlin did once. <laughs> the wraith went straight for the prostrate corpse that was once Gold Dukat and entered him. <laughs> sexually. An instant later, <laughs> Dukat's eyes opened, blood red as he returned to his Cardassian appearance. No! cried Wynne, her hopes of being the chosen of the Pa Rays dashed, truly a woman with nothing left. Do you really think the Pa Rays would choose you to be their emissary? 
Soon the pirates will burn across Bajor, the Celestial Temple, the Alpha Quadrant. Does this sound familiar? Because I stole it right from the episode. What? Can you picture it? An entire universe set in flames to burn for all eternity. The prophets have sent me a gift. Their beloved emissary set forth like an avenging angel to slay the demon, snarled Ducat. I should have known the demon would be you, said Cisco. Go on, kill me if you can, says Ducat. So stupid. Uh, Cisco, as you know, his rifle is thrown out of his hands. You'll have to do better than that, Captain. Ducat zaps Cisco with an energy bolt. This is too easy. That's it. Come closer. That's it. This with this Cisco punch Ducat, and again to no effect. Now bow to me, said Ducat. I said bow. Cisco was pushed down to his knees. You're pathetic, spat Sisko. And why are you the one on your knees? asked Ducat. First the Dominion, now the Par Wraith. You have a talent for picking the losing side, said Sisko. Benjamin, please. We've known each other far too long. And since this is the last time we'll ever be together, let's try to speak honestly. We've both had victories in our defeats. Now it's time to resolve our differences and face the ultimate truth. I've won, Benjamin. You've lost, sneered Ducat. There's so much of this, I'm sorry. The Paw Wraith will never conquer anything, not Bajor, not the Celestial Temple, and certainly not the Alpha Quadrant, spat Sisko. And who's going to stop us, asked Ducat. I am, said Sisko. You can't even stand up, said Ducat. Then I'll stop you, said Wynne. She raised the coast emotion above her head, but it vanished to reappear in Ducat's grasp. Are you still here, asked Ducat. Best line ever. <laughs> emissary the book cried Wynne and as she spoke she was surrounded by the pile wraiths and burst into flames farewell Adami said Ducat it's now or never thought Opaka it's time to save the emissary and the alpha quadrant but not that bitch Wynne <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> that will prove to be your final error in judgment Ducat the Cardassian whirled around his red eyes blazing and a look of shock overtook his usually confident features Kaiopaka? No, this can't be. You're dead. I'm afraid reports of my death are greatly exaggerated, <laughs> smiled Opaka. A sentiment you won't be able to share for much longer. Ducat threw back his head and laughed, though the fear still shone in his eyes. Such arrogance to think you stand a chance against me. Do you still foolishly cling to your precious prophets? Your emissary is on his knees trembling before me, and I've made easy work of your hypocrite of Akai. What do you intend to do? Isn't the Kai you should be concerned with, Ducat? said a familiar voice. It couldn't be. That pathetic little worm would never dare speak to me like this, Ducat thought, mind racing wildly. He turned, shock clearly written across his reptilian face, and saw... Damar! How? You died! gasped Sisko, his mouth agape. The prophets have seen fit to give me a gift. A new life to give in service of Cardassia. And to Bajor, said Damar. It was then that Ducat noticed the bright blueness of his eyes, the energy radiating off of him. Damar, he cried as the other man, once his second in command, his right-hand man, a mentee and comrade in the fight for Cardassian supremacy, stood before him, hands outstretched, power gathering at his fingertips. You fool! You think you can defeat me? What began on Deep Space Nine will be finished now, said Damar, and this time Wynne isn't here to stop you. The Coast Emojin threw- or no, stop us. Stop it? I don't know. Fuck it. We'll be here to fuck it up like a dumb bitch. That's the, the one. Emo huh? That's yeah, the one. Yeah, that's it. 
The coast emoji threw back Ducat's head oh, and laughed gutturally. We shall sue who, see who will be stopping whom. The two squared off, beams of energy shooting from their hands. Ducat's was a sickly blood red and Demar's a pure blue beam. So you can tell who's good and who's bad. Obviously. The sacrifices that had been made for the coast emoji had made them strong. Too strong, perhaps, to be beaten by the prophet inside of Demar. Kaiopaka prayed then her most earnest prayer. For a prophet to take her and allow her to assist Damar in the fight. Well, guess what? A flash of light and she was face to face with Sarah. She didn't know that this was Sisko's mom, but she knew she was face to face with a powerful force. Sulan, said Sarah. Side note, Sulan is apparently the apocryphal name of Opaka that they come up with in a book. So it's not canonical, Uh... but it was the only first name I could find for her and I didn't want to make one up. Sulan, she said, Sarah said, I'll help you to provide aid during this fight. We had not foreseen this. But perhaps this is the best way. Fucking prophets, am I right? Yep. Opaka felt power unlike anything she'd ever known filling her body. And she found herself next to Damar. Not sure of how she'd arrived there, but with her body moving seemingly of its own accord. Of the accord of the prophet to join in the fight. Blue energy flew from her hands to join Damar's, and the two of them pushed against the power wraith, feeling him start to slide back. No! cried Ducat. No, this cannot be! This cannot be! <laughs> <laughs> Even the coast emoji was no match for the power of two prophets. <laughs> <laughs> it's math. <laughs> it is math. It's simple math. Yeah. The once Cardassian, the once Cardassian, plummeted over the side of the cliff, disappearing into the flames below. As quickly as they had entered, the prophets left Opaka and Damar, and the two collapsed, one back to the peace of death, the other into the oblivion of sleep. Opaka awoke. <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> Opaka awoke in the familiar setting of her home. Celine standing over her. My lady, you've returned to us. What? How did I get here? How long have I? Opaka halted mid sentence as she was taken by another vision. <laughs> oh my god, I hate myself. Ah, uh, you've done well, Sulan. Sarah again stood before Opaka. We wish to reward you. What can we give you that would make you happy? <gasps> Cake. Yep. Cake. To serve the prophets is all the reward I need, said Opaka. But it would mean the world to me to save the inhabitants of this planet and return to my home. Return to Bajor. As you wish, said Sarah. So it shall be. Return to Bajor and serve once again as Arkai. Help to guide the Cisco and prepare him for what the future holds. The end? Cool. Yeah, mm. so there you go. There's Yay, that. I'm glad Opaka's back. Me too. And also, Cisco's not gone. Because fuck that shit. Yeah, that also, was some shit. Like, I guess I also was sad about Damar, like, dying like he did. I mean, it was a great sacrifice, but I, I couldn't. So, like, initially my thought was like, okay, like, what if, and I wasn't good enough. Well, I was barely a good enough writer to write what I wrote. But my initial thought and what I think a better writer could have done and would have been really good was like, what if... What if the end game, but it's Kaiopaka and Damar instead of Ducat and Wynn? Hmm. Hmm. Um, but like I said, I, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to think figure that out. So uh, I went with this instead. Good choice. And uh, yeah, so that's the thing I wrote. Well, actually, technically, uh, it's the thing that I wrote most of and I also stole from <laughs> from the actual good writers of Deep Space Nine. Did you just find the script or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally just Googled the script and was like, here we go. And if I had thought more of it, I would have cut it down. It was too much. Mm. It was way too much. I so, like the uh, part where uh, Ducat's demotion was getting spit-roasted by the prophets. 
Yeah, that's the best part. Eiffel Tower. Yum. Only if they high five while they're doing it. Yes. Oh dear. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, that can go in the second draft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it needs it obviously needs work. But you know, sometimes you decide to rewrite the end of a thing twenty minutes before it's due and then you fucking come up with this. So I like it. I thought it was yeah. great. Oh, thanks, well Jake. Done. Yeah, I like I like a revisioned ending to a thing. Thanks. Cool. Very well, cool. Thanks. thanks, fellas and lady. Ladies and fella. No, fellas and lady. You know what I mean. Whatever. Kai's and gulls. Yeah, that's it. Kai's and gulls. Kai's and gulls. <laughs> oh, no. Kai's and it works so well. <laughs> I would also like restroom signs that say Kai's and gulls. Thing is, technically, a, a guy can be a Kai. We've just only seen women in the role. And I've, I've I finished the, uh, the Andy Robinson book, and there are some lady gulls, mm. which I'm all about. They call Kai. them gals. <laughs> Gals, Ducat. They, they, somebody should do a uh, somebody should do a uh, like a gender bent DS nine with with Gal Ducat. <laughs> I'd watch Hot. it. Watch it. I'd star in it. Fuck yeah. Cool. That well, was we, it. Are we What's passing next? the reading baton over to I was Jake? Gonna say let's move. Oh, let's move up? swiftly on because. All right. Well, cool. So you should all. So my, I did a screenplay. So you should all have scripts. Yep, I'm all downloaded uh, and ready to go. Yeah, oh. one. You each have your own script that's pre-highlighted. With, with the roles <laughs> I you like. Read. I like the uh, the character assignments. Oh shit! Um, I'm stoked. <laughs> you spelled oh, Julian wrong. That's fine. Whatever. Julian Fries. Okay. Oh, I spelled it like Giuliani. Shit. No. no. Uh, all right. Anyway, so this is uh, this is my piece. My my characters were uh, Vic Fontaine and Eddington, and the title of my piece is Armand Valjean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did yours have a title, Caitlin? Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> Come on, it barely had an ending um, <laughs> or a middle. <laughs> it had a beginning, though. <laughs> it definitely had a beginning. <laughs> so I guess I guess I will read the the sort of stage directions here. But yeah, so um, this scene one, an establishing shot of the station, uh, followed by a voiceover. Station log, stardate 53202.7. Life is slowly returning to normal aboard Steep Space Nine, albeit different than before. The Romulan and Klingon garrisons have both left to return home. The Klingon transport call has docked to unload the final group of Alliance prisoners released from Dominion POW camps in Cardassian space. While the Alpha Quadrant continues to celebrate the end of the war, I fear the humanitarian cost is just beginning to be felt. Should note that was Kira's voice, by the way. Okay, so now we're in our uh, our uh, intro here, our uh, pre-credit scene. Interior: The Promenade. A mix of Starfleet and Bajoran officers assists as a stream of humans, Klingons, Romulans, and various other aliens stagger in onto the Promenade. Many wear tattered, dirty uniforms. Some with arms and slings, while others limp. Most appear in a daze. Some appear to sob. One man falls to the floor in a mixture of exhaustion and relief. A Bajoran officer rushes to offer aid. All have just disembarked from the Klingon transport ship Cole, having returned from a great ordeal. These are prisoners of war, returning home after having spent months in a Dominion prison camp. Nearby, Julian and Esri stand watching. Look at all of them, Julian. They all look so... Broken? Have you cleared your calendar this week, Counselor? 
I don't even know where to begin with to treat these people. What they've been through? Can you imagine? I don't have to. Ezri realizes he's talking to someone who's actually been in a Dominion POW camp. Oh, right. Quark saunters up. Oh, Doctor! This is my Quark voice now, by wow. the way. <laughs> Fog, foghorn Quarkhorn over here. Do you know when this parade of sadness is going to end? It's depressing my customers. Quark, they've just been released from one of the most traumatic ordeals a person can face. Show some compassion. You're right. I bet they could use a drink. Half price spins at the Dabo table for returning heroes at Quark's Bar. Next half hour only. <laughs> he would too. Do you want to contact security or should I? I'll... Julian looks up and notices something. One of the POWs has caught his eye. What is it? Hang on. Julian pushes his way through the crowd towards a disheveled man who's just stepped onto the promenade. As he gets close, the man looks up. His face is scarred and bruised, his hair shoulder-length and scraggly, and he wears the unkempt beard of someone who hasn't shaved or washed in years. Nevertheless, the man is unmistakably familiar. The man is Michael Eddington. Why, hello, Doctor. Without acknowledging Eddington, Julian grabs the arm of a nearby Bajoran security officer. Press this man immediately and notify Colonel Kira. Commander Eddington is alive. Da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay. Doodly-doo. Interior. Int. DS9 holding cells. Cleaned up Eddington relaxes on the bench of one of the holding cells. Kira enters, holding a pad. Major. Or is it Colonel now, I hear? Or was it... Commander. Save it, Eddington. I'm not here for a social visit. Of course. I must say, the accommodations here are far better than the last place I stayed. I'm referring, of course, to the Klingon transport that brought me here. What's that you have there? It's an order for your extradition to Starfleet custody. The Bajoran government has rejected your plea for asylum. Well, it was worth a try. I guess I can't expect the Bajorans to harbor... Terrorists, eh, Colonel? You're a traitor, a liar, and a thief, Eddington. You deserve to rot in a Starfleet... A Starfleet... Wow. A Starfleet brig! Your runabout leaves in an hour. Au revoir, Colonel. Hint, ops. Kira sits at the central station, sipping a Ractagino. Esri approaches. The Volga has departed. And you're sure Eddington was on it? I watched him board it myself. Knowing Eddington, I half expected some sort of elaborate escape plan. Still not sure how he's managed to survive as long as he has. A beeping can be heard. The new chief of operations, Argyle, <laughs> is sitting at a nearby station. <laughs> We're being hailed. It's the Volga. Here and Esri exchange glances. They knew they weren't getting off that easily. Phrasing. Put it through. <laughs> <laughs> This is the USS Volga to Deep Space Nine. We appear to be having trouble with our reactor. Warp power is unavailable. Acknowledged, Volga. Deactivate your warp drive and return to the station on impulse. Is the prisoner secure? Yes, ma'am. Returning to... (laughs) 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 Volga, what's going on? Volga, do you read? The line goes silent. 
Sir, the Volga, it's gone. Crossfade to Vic's Lounge. It's a quiet afternoon in the lounge. A dozen or so holographic patrons are seated throughout the lounge. Vic Fontaine sits on the edge of the stage while his band relaxes. And the lights begin to flicker. Budget cuts, you know. (laughs) The patron smiles. After a moment, Eddington enters and looks around, seemingly unimpressed. He looks like he's about to leave when Vic notices him. Vic springs to his feet and jaunts over to Eddington. Welcome, come in and have a seat. What are you having? It's on me. Do I know you? I don't think we've met. The name's Vic Fontaine. This is my joint. Vic offers his hand. After a moment of hesitation, Eddington shakes it. I'm Mike Edwards. As they shake hands, Vic realizes there's something off about this guy. He looks down at his hand as they shake. Hey, Pally, you're a hologram? Eddington looks almost as surprised as Vic. You know what a hologram is. Vic pulls away. Oh, not this again. Is this another Jack in the Box (laughs) from Felix? Listen, I'm not really in the mood for this. Felix? Listen, Vic, was it? I'm not part of any Easter egg. I'm with the military. Starfleet? I didn't know they had any holographic officers. Maybe I should send in an application. (laughs) Hey. You wouldn't happen to be a doctor, would you? You know about Starfleet, too? Of course I do, Pally. (laughs) Listen, you're the first customer who's walked in all day, so listen. Why don't I call my friend Julian down here and we'll... Ah, another one of Bashir's juvenile fantasies. Hey, Pally, this is a classy joint. If you want to go fight Santa Ana, that's in another holosuite. This is Vegas, baby. (laughs) I mean... It hasn't quite been the same here since the war ended, but that's the business. You know about the war? Half my customers were soldiers on R&R. I guess they saw this as a sort of escape. That's what Vegas is for, no? I guess so. Say, you wouldn't happen to know if a guy named Cisco ever comes in here. You mean Benjamin, the captain? He's come in once or twice. I don't think he's really... I don't think it's really his scene. Besides... From what I've heard, he's not going to be around for a while. Oh? Something about spending some time with family. So, how about that <laughs> drink? The bartender here makes a mean old-fashioned. I think I'll just sit for a while. Eddington sits. Well, how about a song? I don't suppose you do anything by Schoenberg? This is Vegas, Pally, not Broadway. So, how do you know the captain? Oh, we're, uh, old friends. I see. Well, listen, I'm supposed to start a set, so stay as long as you like. Drinks are on the house if you change your mind. Vic goes to the stage. Please tell me you're going to sing a whole song. Five hours of song. Please tell me that the next five pages is just Jake singing. Sorry, Vic (laughs) singing. Computer. Access program parameter file. Authorization Valjean Alpha 1. (gasps) New scene. Ops. Lights are dim and flickering. A number of technicians are busy working. Argyle pounds his hands on on a console in frustration. Kira approaches. I don't understand it, Colonel. It's as though all power systems are being diverted to the main computer. Can't you reroute it? We've been completely locked out. Can you trace what's causing the drain? I found something. Just prior to the Volga's explosion, the sensors picked up a transporter matter stream. An emergency transport from the Volga? That's what it looks like, but it doesn't look like the pattern materialized anywhere. 
The stream triggered a hidden subroutine and offloaded the patterns into the computer's main memory core. Dun dun dun. Security to the Hall of Suite. Don't enter until I get there. Back at Vix. The lounge has changed considerably. Instead of a glitzy Las Vegas casino, the lounge now resembles an impoverished French tavern. The clientele, once dressed in mid-century evening wear, now appear in early 19th century French peasant garb. The large Vic Fontaine sign above the stage now reads Victor Fantine. Vic, dressed in a French officer's coat, stands at the microphone, belting out the lyrics to On My Own. Kira enters, flanked by Bajoran, by, flanked by Bajoran security officers, Esri follows. They look around the room in confusion and disbelief. After a moment, Eddington emerges from the back room. Bonjour, bienvenue. Welcome. Security officers try to shoot him. Esri scans him with a tricorder. What the hell is going on here, Eddington? It's nice to see you again, too, Colonel. Do you like what I've done with the place? He's holographic. How observant. I don't believe we've met. He offers his hand to Esri, and Kira slaps it away. How did you pull this off? Actually, I don't care. But you should. You see, I remembered what happened to you and the others when you got trapped in the Doctor's little video game. And while I sucked that away for a rainy day, (laughs) I had originally planned to use it to trap the captain, but uh, say lovey. You orchestrated this whole thing. The Volga! Actually, that wasn't me. Those runabouts really just aren't safe. Wait, when we, well, Jedzia and the rest, were trapped in the hollow suite, only their physical images were recreated, not their minds. Ah, I had a feeling that might be you in there, Dax. Let's just say I was able to refine the process somewhat. I want you out of here, and I want this program restored to its original parameters. Vic notices what's going on, stops singing, and comes over. I'm afraid that's not possible. You see, when I created the subroutine, I didn't really plan for any way to remove it without purging. As I said, I had originally intended it for the captain. What is going on, Pali? My customers are being distracted from my solo. (laughs) It's okay, Vic. Our guests were just leaving. Oh, but these are my friends. Mon cheri, Ezri. Mon Capitan Kira. (laughs) Vic, are you in there? Why, of course, a (laughs) pally. And you're okay with what he's done? Vic looks looks nervous. He glances at Eddington, then back at Esri. He appears to be struggling. You gotta stop him! He's forcing me to sing the same song over and over! Ah! Vic winces in pain. Eddington has done something to him. What did I say, Vic? How many times do we need to have this conversation? Vic collapses. <gasps> Kira and Ezri are horrified. I'm horrified. Computer, restore the Las Vegas program to its original parameters. The computer doesn't oh, say shit. I don't know that. Yep, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it won't work, Colonel. I'm in complete control. You're welcome to stay as long as you like, but if you can take any action against me, I can make it very unpleasant for your friend here. He walks away, humming the tune for On My Own. Vic vanishes from the floor and reappears on stage. He continues singing that fucking song. (laughs) There's got to be a way to get Eddington out of here. Here taps her comm badge. 
Kira to Argyle, have you had any luck with the computer? It's no use, Colonel. All computer resources are currently devoted to running the Holosuite program, and all access has been restricted. Can you disconnect the Holosuite from the main computer? Not without causing the running program to be purged. We can't do that. Vic will die. Keep working on it, Commander. There's something else. For the past few minutes, every console on the station has been playing the same song at maximum volume. Here returns to Esri. We're going to find another way. When we had to save Vic from Frankie Eyes, we did it by playing out the scenario. Maybe if we complete whatever this is, the program will go back to normal. According to the captain, Eddington was obsessed with some revenge tale from one of Earth's lost cultures. <laughs> that's a good one. Thank you. I bet that's what he's trying to recreate <laughs> here. That is good. So maybe if we figure out how that story ends... Do we have anyone on the station who's familiar with it? Benjamin tried explaining it to Jedzia during the whole Eddington fiasco, uh, but she fell asleep. <laughs> there is one person on board who may have suffered through the whole, through the movie version. Well, let's get them down here. Several hours Wait. have passed. Oh my, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Several hours have passed. Vic continues to sing that goddamn song. <laughs> Eddington sits off to the side, feet up on a table, waving his hands in rhythm to the music, evidently still enjoying it, the sick fuck. <laughs> Kira sits, one of the, sits at one of the tables with cocktail napkins. Oh, yeah. With co cocktail napkins jammed into her ears. Esri has passed out completely. <laughs> Typical. After a moment, Lieutenant Ames enters. She immediately covers so her weird. ears. <laughs> yeah. God, it's even louder in here. Here lieutenant. perks up. Oops, sorry. <clears throat> it's okay. Oh, I'm a lieutenant. Lute lieutenant, thanks for coming. Dax said you've seen the movie version of Les Miserables, please. In order to restore things to the way they were, we think we need to play out the ending of that movie. Yes, I researched it back when we were chasing Eddington. It's not something I hoped to repeat. I understand. Can you recall what it was about? Oh, <laughs> damn you, you son of a bitch. Uh, well, it was mostly 50 fucking songs that were stupid, and I hated all of them. I don't even th think there was a plot, but mostly it was about two guys who just kind of don't get along, and eventually, I think one of them died? I actually don't remember. Let me think on this. Um, oh, stop, I can't take it. Just tell me what happens to the Jean Valjean character. Yes, he dies. <laughs> Thank you. Kira takes out her phaser and shoots Eddington. <laughs> he falls out of his chair onto the floor. Kira approaches him, still aiming her phaser at him. <laughs> I must commend you, Mon Capitan. <clears throat> I didn't think you had it in you. Vic walks over, wearing his normal Vegas threads. I am ready. Fontaine. Sorry, Pally. I didn't want for it to go down this way, but my voice has been getting hoarse. Give me all my trespasses. <sighs> Eddington's holographic image vanishes. Instantly, the room transforms back into its original form. The patrons go back to normal. I can't believe that worked. Kira's combat chirps. Colonel. I don't know what you did, but everything just went back to normal. The rogue program has been completely purged. Acknowledged, Commander. Who was that? That's Argyle, the new chief of operations. Sounds like a swell guy. Oh, he's the best. Yeah, everybody loves him. He really is one of Starfleet's finest. I love him already, just based on his voice. 
I don't know what we do without him. And he's so dreamy. They walk over to the bar where three drinks are already prepared. They each take a glass and raise them. To Argyle! To, to Argyle! Hey, the folks still do three <laughs> cheers in the 24th century? Argyle! 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 Dissolve to Ops. Argyle sits at his station, chin resting on his hand. He's been daydreaming on the job. Again. Argyle. <laughs> Argyle! Nice. <laughs> yes, Colonel? I asked if you'd taken care of that fault in the waste extraction system. Uh, no. I, I ha- haven't gotten that yet. Uh, I'll, I'll go take care of that right away. Thank you, Ensign. Argyle shuffles off. Kira return- turns to Esri, who's been standing nearby. What are we going to do with him? He's getting better. I'll have a talk with him. Good luck. Handle begins to chirp. Oh, it's the Volga. Kira taps it. Volga to Deep Space Nine. Permission to dock. Granted. I trust everything went well and our friend Eddington is safely back in Federation prison? Yes, ma'am. Acknowledged. Proceed to Pad C. You're cleared to land. The end. Fucking perfection. (laughs) See, you said a few weeks ago that this was based on a single joke. No, it's like five jokes. (laughs) But see, that that, that makes it a a full story. Oh, that I get. Okay. Also, for our our listeners, uh, I mean, I guess you'll you'll see this eventually if you go to our our website. uh, But what had Ames so uh, flustered was that one of her lines, rather than a line, was uh, parentheses ad lib the story of Les Miserables. There isn't one! <laughs> Which, I'm going to point out, is a time-worn Hollywood tradition, because it was, I think, The Man with the Golden Gun, where the script said, brackets, the greatest car chase you've ever seen. And that nice. is all the stunt coordinator had to work with. Sounds good. Is that what you were going for, Jake? I, w- I wasn't going for that specific Were you, were you going for the Parks and Rec episode where they let, was it Patton Oswald just talk for a half an hour straight? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that was sort of in the back of my mind. Nice. I mean, really, I, I didn't want to have to learn anything about the story of Labor's You learned around. that Valjean died somehow. I did, I did. And I tried to pepper in like a few like tiny references. Like the sign in Vic's Lounge is says Victor, which is a reference to Victor Hugo. And ah. Vic, so Victor Fantine, and Fantine is a character. Oh, yeah, I was going right. to say, I knew Fantine was a character. That was well That's done. right. Look at you, you slick fuck. Vic yeah. is a clever bastard. He is. And a monster. I That's the, that's the extent up. of the reference, because I didn't know shit. I just went to the Wikipedia and confirmed, did he die? And, oh, look, there's a name that looks kind of like Fontaine. Yeah. Mm. There we go. Well, that was delightful. I loved it. Well, thank you. But what did Chris write? Yeah. The same story. No! Yeah, kind of. No. My story? Where is my story? So I had... The time of your life. Wayun. Hmm. And Ikar, who you might remember is O'Brien's imaginary prison friend. So... Mine is called, and uh, I wrote I wrote a story as opposed to a screenplay. We didn't decide ahead of time, so it's a bit of a mix this week. Mine is called, Dude, Where's My E-Car? Oh, dear. 
<laughs> T, Earl Grey, hot? Miles O'Brien instinctively glanced up at those words. Surely not. <laughs> sure enough, a lanky Andorian walked up to the counter and accepted the drink that had been called out. Admiral Picard, well, not Admiral anymore, but even thinking of him as Jean-Luc was bizarre to O'Brien, had less than no reason to be hanging around Starfleet Academy. Or Starfleet anything, for that matter. Not that I can entirely blame him, he mused to himself, going back to the pad containing last week's warp field dynamics exam. Nothing's felt right since Romulus was destroyed. And then Mars. Maybe Keiko's right. Maybe it's time to retire. He sighed and put down his stylus. Twenty years of teaching at Starfleet Academy, and even he could see how things were shifting. The students grew less and less enthused. Dropout rates were going up. Those that did stay were becoming so by the book when it came to everything that it was maddening. You're just lacking an imagination, he'd moaned to Keiko one day. If I'd taught like them, we'd have never got the Defiant working like she did. They think the deflector array is just for deflecting things. Yeah. He had immediately realized how ridiculous and old manish it had sounded. But even his wife had run Starfleet ships long enough to get it. Everything on a ship potentially had a purpose no one had ever dreamed of. And dreaming it up in that critical moment could be the difference between getting the ship home and a warp core breach. Uh, Professor O'Brien came a strangely familiar voice from behind him. He turned and saw what he thought at first must have been a Romulan because they were smiling. And there was a sardonic edge to the tone that didn't seem terribly Vulcan either. But that fellow had the wax-like pallor that was unique to the latter, something their cousin species had evolved away over the centuries apart. Yes? Can I help you? No, but my employer believes he can help you. Well, this was shady. Was Section 31 out for belated revenge? Maybe someone had finally slipped in Starfleet Intelligence and the Orion Syndicate found out he'd worked undercover against them? Could it be that some Talani was still cross about what he and Julian revealed during about their corrupt had revealed about their corruption? The grudge could have gone further back. Someone related to the incident at Celtic 3 had tracked him down. Christ! For someone who'd only ever been an engineer, he'd sure managed to pile up a list of old enemies that could come calling. I'd at least make him an honorary commander for that. And he would be... An old friend. The mystery man reached into a pocket and pulled out a small red figurine. The coonskin cap was unmistakable. Hmm. He said this would explain. He remembers the hours you and the good doctor spent on this. So it wasn't Julian, but someone who knew how they'd passed their time in their DS9 days. Didn't rule out Section 31, or necessarily a few others, but it did make him feel a little better. He realized the man was still holding out the figure to him, so he reached out and took it, putting it in the bag he'd been carrying his pad and some miscellany in. My employer understands that you're too cautious a man to just meet somewhere. The man's voice, what was it that was so familiar, had dropped even further. Be at your desk in twenty minutes. A signal will come in. Use the code on the bottom of the figure. The man turned without another word and strode off. O'Brien raised his eyebrows and watched him go. If tell Julian about this next time they talked, he'd be jealous. Goodness knows how long it had been since his old friend had been involved in any cloak-and-dagger shenanigans. Huh. Despite everything, O'Brien was a little surprised when, back at his desk, his computer began to chirp. The text on the screen read, Incoming External Transmission. External transmissions were always supposed to go through central comms. Only an admiral could bypass that procedure normally. He turned his little figure over and punched in the numbers he saw there. My dear Professor O'Brien. Ga O'Brien stopped himself. 
For some reason, he felt if he said the full name of the Cardassian, now grinning at him from the screen, it would just summon the whole of Starfleet security. Just behind him and to his left stood the mystery Vulcan Romulan from the cafe. "'You look well, Professor,' Garrick continued, not acknowledging whether or not he had caught the engineer's odd outburst. Oh, "'Haven't you called me that's a bit weird?' O'Brien admitted. "'How about Chafe? I think it's still technically my rank.' "'Very well, Chief. I believe you know my associate.' Not that I can remember. Oh, how silly of me, the man said, reaching up. I still have the mask on. His hand slid down his face, and the telltale webbing of a holographic disguise flickered to life as the pallor, eyebrows, and eyes vanished. Instead, there was a very different kind of pointed ear, skin like powder and violently violet eyes. Weyoun! Yes, it would seem there were, in fact, a few left over, despite what we had been told. Garrick smirked in that old, familiar, entirely unsettling way of his. It seems they just meant their Alpha Quadrant supply. Of course, now I'm the actual final one, Weyun added. Garrick here found me right before I was... discarded. My predecessors had not been so lucky. Ah, so where you've been the past two decades then? O'Brien asked. The Gamma Quadrant. Mostly. Garrick raised his brow briefly. Someone has to keep an eye on the Dominion. Starfleet intelligence can hardly be trusted to do it on their own. The Romulans are too busy trying to keep their culture intact, and Klingons have never had a spy agency in their entire recorded history. I see. I came across a story I thought might interest you. He glanced down and pecked a few buttons just off camera, and a ping sounded on the chief's computer. Look particularly carefully at the upper left-hand corner of the screen. It was a pleasure to see you, chief. Wait! But Garrick was already gone. O'Brien knew there'd be no point in asking for a trace. Should he report this? He was supposed to, certainly. But this was Garrick. O'Brien, well, okay, to say he trusted Garrick would be a staggering lie. But he certainly felt like both the Federation and he personally owed him enough that he could be allowed this little indulgence. At least once. Decision made, O'Brien opened the message he'd been sent. He winced when he recognized rather quickly the world of Argratha. It had all the appearance of a news it had all the appearance of a news story of some kind, but the Universal Translator hadn't caught up to the shift, so he started over and paused it. Argratha. He'd been twice. The second time, some fifteen years later, to testify at a public hearing about his experiences the first time, what his false memory twenty year imprisonment had been like. There was talk at the time of abandoning the practice. It made the judicial process too casual, too many false guilty charges because for those who'd never experienced what was really lost? The chief and countless others had told them how real the time felt and how cruel the simulation was. He'd told the special envoy who'd arranged for him to go that he felt he deserved a medal for how calm he'd been during his testimony. The envoy had chuckled until the chief's expression had told him that he had very much meant it. He started the story up again. When he'd not heard anything for months after his testimony, he'd assumed the reforms had failed and the sick practice was still going on. But in fact, it had simply taken a bit of extra time and work the story was about the closing of the final facility that runs such incarcerations. Wasn't sure if he wanted to weep or go celebrate. He was going to call Keiko straight away. That much was the upper left-hand corner. No. He'd almost forgotten to look. No. Despite it being the entire reason Garrick had dropped by. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Char, his imaginary cellmate. Standing with a crowd of politicians and other self-congratulatory types, 
formally shutting the program down. Almost identical to the twenty years older Ikar from his memories, though one that had clearly lived a somewhat less wretched life, one had gotten proper meals and sleep and care, just like O'Brien had. But did he have the false twenty years that still occasionally wafted into his nightmares and had him waking in a cold sweat? Did he still, on rare occasions, almost set aside a bit of his meal before realizing saving it wasn't necessary? And Chartrand, the chief said aloud, Who the fuck are you? He was glad the stopover at DS9 to switch transports had been short. None of the old crew was there anymore, but he was fairly certain he was at least vaguely acquainted with some of the Starfleet staff that still maintained a presence on the Bajoran station, and the last thing he wanted to be was some old man wandering around his old posting looking worn and nostalgic. Even Quark had shipped out for free cloud. A part of him had been tempted to see if Morn was still at his usual steet in whatever the bar was called now, assuming it was even still a bar. But he had just stayed in the dockering hearing and then made his way on the made his way to the next leg of his journey. He spent the flight through the wormhole standing by a window with just about everyone else. He realized that he'd never gone through it after the war had ended, so it was first time making the journey in ages that he wasn't expecting to potentially die on the other end. Huh. It was nice to just watch it, to get lost in its beauty. I vaguely wonder if Cisco was watching him just then. O'Brien stood in the space between two homes, watching as a car slid noiselessly from the sky and halted in front of the house. Finding his old friend had been much easier than he expected. Garrick had encoded everything he needed to find the man in the news clip he'd sent. A door hissed open and the old Argrathan stepped out. He exchanged inaudible words with someone in the vehicle before the door shut and it lazily drifted back into the sky. O'Brien glanced around. No one else seemed to be coming. He watched as the other man walked towards his home. The chief darted from the shadows and jogged across the street. If Hikar heard him, he showed no sign. O'Brien reached up, paused, and then gently tapped the other man on the shoulder. He gasped and spun. Yes? he asked. I'm, uh... I'm Miles O'Brien. Oh. Oh! Yes, yes, I remember watching your testimony. He held out a hand. Kovacs. A pleasure, the chief replied, taking his hand and shaking it. But why did you come to see me? We... Well, we were cellmates, you see. Were we? He nodded slowly. Well, someone had quite the sense of humor. What you mean? I've been arguing against our mental prisons for a very long time. His lips went slender and he glanced off. Please, uh, come in. Have a warm drink. I... I... Sure. Thank you. I never had the misfortune of experiencing what you or so many others did, Kovacs explained, putting down what seemed effectively to be a mug in front of O'Brien. But my father did. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. He picked up his own mug, almost took a drink, but didn't and put it down. His story was similar to so many others. To yours, adjusting was so hard. Too hard. They don't offer any kind of help to reintegrate to society. To help you deal with the fact that you've not actually lost any time, but it still feels like a huge swath of your life is gone. That might be worse than actually losing time, I don't know. Neither do I. I've never had the real version. He lasted... half a year. My brother found him. Kovacs paused and took a sip of his drink, and the chief finally did automatically. Not that he took any note of the flavor. 
I had already started writing letters, but I got more active after that. Showed up at politicians' doorsteps, showed up and shouted at meetings that had nothing to do with it. Became a real pain. Oh, must have been afraid they'd, well, you know. Huh, sure. Oh, but I didn't care. Let them. Let them put me in a 50-year dream. A century, I knew I'd be fine. I'd have my rage to see me through. He sighed. I was so angry for so long. I mean, I've never stopped being angry, but you can't be as consistently angry as I was at first. That would be impossible. So what happened? I've lived my life. But I never stopped my campaigning. Whatever free moment I could scrounge up was spent talking with others who shared my goal. I guess someone thought it would be a good laugh to have a cellmate based on the man who hated them and their damn program so much. He smiled. But then I got to be there the other day. When it all ended, thanks to so many people. Like you. I... The chief paused. I'm glad I could help. So what made you come to see me? I wasn't sure who you were, to be honest. Outside of looking like Akar. That was his name. I guess a part of me was almost hoping you'd have been part of it somehow, so I could let you have it and feel as bad about how things went between me and the other you. You didn't get along, eh? Oh, we did eventually. And then for a long time. But then, t towards the end, it gets particularly bad, yes. Everyone says that. Well, glad to know it wasn't just me getting special treatment, I suppose. O'Brien took another drink. Now that he was paying attention, he realized it was very pleasant. He'd have to find out what it was and bring some home. We fought. You... He... I killed him. I'm sorry. Ah, you have nothing to apologize for. I killed you. Sort of. I'm sorry on behalf of a government that will never properly apologize to anyone affected by their sick little program because they think it's just fine. They are giving it up with great reluctance, you can be sure. And I'm sorry you were driven to that. I know we've barely met, but you don't seem the type. So it must have been truly awful to drive you that far. I guess so. I hope so. I don't know. I'd, I'd killed before. Served in one war already by then. But this was something else. Something still comes up at me in the wee hours. Every time I'd killed before then, I could, I could justify it as I've been for my survival. And that's what I told myself it was that time, but I'd not actually proven that first. I told myself it must have been so I could. I wish I could help. I'm almost sorry I'm not who you thought I was, he shrugged. If it helps, well, I didn't go what you went through, but I saw firsthand what it does to people. I know how real it can seem, even to those who go in knowing it isn't. You had no idea. I'm sorry they used my face as part of your torture. And if it helps, well, I forgive you. On behalf of the false me. And I only wish you the best. Thanks. He smiled, nodded. That actually is nice to hear somehow. The wormhole again. Its eddies and currents and majesty unchanged even as the twenty years around it had entirely altered O'Brien's world. Why had he gone all the way to the Gamma Quadrant? But what would he have done if Kovacs had been involved somehow? Certainly not killed him. Shouted for a bit? <laughs> what good would that have done? What good had this done? 
No. Time to move on. Figure out what's next. He'd been in neutral for far too long, and... Oh, I know that look. Came a voice to his side that he scarcely believed he was hearing. That is the look of the chief when everything seems against him, when things have stopped making sense. O'Brien turned. There, not looking a day older than when he'd last seen him, still in the now very out-of-date uniform, stood Captain Sisko. Well, chief, it's time to, for things to start making sense again. I'm going to need your help. The end. <laughs> oh, shit. Ooh, cliffhanger. I liked that. That was very well done. Thank you. Yeah. That is effectively episode one of uh, Paramount <laughs> Plus's O'Brien. <laughs> I love it. Complete with some F-bombs because we can now. Yeah. Yep, that's how we do. How many <laughs> Klingon titties? All of so them. many. <laughs> yeah, I really liked that. Yeah, yeah that's well great, done. Chris. I was like, how the fuck am I going to get Imaginary Man and Wayun in the same story? And then Ames, you mentioned a few weeks ago that novel where Garrick finds a way you and oh, makes him his assistant. Nice. And I was like, I can work with that. Sweet. And it all just kind of went from there. Yeah, I'm going to find that book now too, and see how much of it you ripped off. <laughs> I, I actually, I, aside from what you told me, I don't even know what it was. So ah. I uh, oh, and now yes, the hollow face mask thing ripped straight from uh, New Trek as well. What did they use that? Uh, oh, actually, you know what? They haven't, technically. It's from a deleted scene from Discovery. Oh. Huh. But if you've seen, um, well, actually, you, you two haven't, but for uh, any listeners who have seen uh, The Winter Soldier, it's quite similar to the holographic mask effect from that movie. I, I will believe you. Yeah, I had a, a similar issue of trying to figure out how the fuck, how the actual fuck, to get Vreenak and Kern in the same story together. Mm. And I started working on a thing. I'll tell you this now, uh, now before I before we launch in, just so I, I I've said it. And I wondered for a second, like, what if Vreenak survived, but they replaced his identity, and he and Kern are now both identityless, and they're going to like evening meetings led by Troy and at some <laughs> point they all have dessert at the end of their meeting and Vreenek says it's a cake <laughs> I did none of that <laughs> that's stupid so I get, get that out of the way now that's stupid but then I decided you know what I'm gonna go so far out of the fucking box with this one and you guys will see what I mean by that I'm just gonna say that Jake somehow would have taken it's a cake and built some kind of crazy <laughs> meta like, God knows what. <laughs> yeah, so this one is uh, also written teleplay style, though I wouldn't exactly call it a teleplay. It's very, very arty, very outside the box, very weird. It's titled Treasure Buried in Quicksand. Ooh. And again, the my random draws were Vreenak and Kern. And I'll go ahead and read some stage direction kind of things. That does feel like a Star Trek title. Nice, I'm glad. It'll be fun. It'll, it won't be fun. It'll be weird. Interior. Somewhere on Cardassia, shortly after the Dominion War has ended. On the planet, everything is still very clearly in transition. Ezri Dax comes to the temporary domicile of Elam Garrick and rings his door buzzer, clutching a pad to her chest. Yes? Garrick, it's Ezri. Ezri Dax. Enter. A moment, and then the door opens to reveal Garrick standing awkwardly in the middle of a mostly empty room. Nothing looks complete, especially Garrick. 
I wasn't expecting you for another... Uh, let me see. I'm right on time, Garrick. Are you? <laughs> My mind must have been someplace else. Keeping busy then, are you? There is much to do rebuilding an empire. Or at least a small neighborhood. Of course. If this is a bad time, Nothing I... of the sort. It's good for me to have a little consistency in my schedule. Weekly lunch with a good doctor, weekly visit from the Starfleet counselor. I'm glad to hear it. And Julian very much appreciates your lunches. That is most kind of him. Tell him I may have a new Enigma tale for him to read, if he thinks he can handle it. <laughs> I'll do that. You still don't have anywhere to... To sit? No need for it. Why do you counselors seem to think people will do their best reflections while sitting? That's a good question, actually. I'm just saying that I'd like to sit. Or stand on my head, maybe. It's been a long couple of days. Garrick uncovers a crate somewhere and pats its top. Would this do? Thanks. She sits. Last time I was here, we started talking about some new instances of claustrophobia since you moved down here. Back here? Back down here. Ironic, isn't it? There's nothing for miles to make me feel boxed in, and yet... And yet the emptiness can feel like it's choking you. Yes. Sometimes. How has that been, lately? Better! Yes, better, come to think of it. Julian, Dr. Bashir ended up prescribing something for you. Did I hear that right? He did, but I've not been taking it. Garrick. I know. I'm a doctor's worst nightmare. I believe I found a better coping mechanism that's been working, though, so I haven't needed them. Really? What's that? I've been composing letters. Letters? Cut to interiors. Garrick's quarters on Cardassia at another time, and Esri's quarters on Deep Space Nine at an additional other time. Both are dictating letters alone in their spaces, and clever cuts should make the epistolaries complement each other. Computer, receive dictation. Begin personal log for transmission. Another week gone by, and... You may not remember me. In fact, no, you wouldn't remember me. I'm still strangled by what might have been. I regret not having reached out sooner. But writing to you has been like removing a weight off of me. I just wish... I wish I knew how to say this. You could see what we're making of this place. I'm a different person now. You're a different person now. Maybe you'd forgive me. I think I can help you. Maybe I'd forgive me. Please, let me help you. Transition back to the two-hander scene, picking up where we left off. Is that unusual? Not at all. That's actually a very excellent idea. How do you find it's helping you? Let's just say... I've had some things I wanted to get off my chest. And leave it at that. I get it. And you're writing to... friends of yours? Only some old acquaintances I'd lost contact with. I don't know if friend is the correct term. Well, I'm glad that's helping you. Maybe I should try it myself. Now that the war's over, there are a lot of people I wish I could reach out to. Of course. Or I suppose I should say, I wish Jedzia could have reached out to. Well, I think you should. Unless I'm mistaken about Trills, I don't believe she can. All she can really do is make me feel guilty about a lot of things. Oh boy, the life she led. It sounds like you too have a lot you would like to get off your chest. You're deflecting the conversation away from yourself again, as usual. Surely I get points for trying. Esri stands and starts looking around at things, gazing out the windows. Things seem to be 
coming along here. <laughs> it's merely an illusion. What do you see outside around the capital district? Construction. Um, a lot of debris being sorted. People tending to the injured. It's unruly chaos, believe me. No one knows what they're doing out there, and everyone is waiting for someone else to tell them what to do. It's belittling for a once great empire. Is that what you've been writing to your friend, your acquaintances about? Is what what I've been writing? Someone finding someone to tell the people what to do. Of course not. No, it would be pointless. Why is that? Because. Oh, you don't understand Cardassian society. Has our dear doctor not told you anything from our little chats? I'd say he considers that to be private. Well, I have to give him credit then, considering his initial exuberance every time we spoke. Like an excitable riding hound pup. Trust me, I'm aware. Cardassians, however, are more subtle than humans. I'm sure you'd agree. We like to be deliberate about our actions, and our current situation is such a tangled one. My current situation even more so. So tell me about it. Cut to interior, Garrick's quarters again, where he is dictating another letter. Begin recording. Captain Sisko is a strange man. The kind of man who can let guilt eat him alive. More specifically, the guilt over something he did in the past. It's so unusual to me. What should he feel guilty about? A Romulan senator would have stood in the way if not for our little... manipulation? It's something to feel guilty about. I would feign I don't even remember our target's name, but I do. Senator Vreenak. A better gain as a loss than anything else. I sleep well at night knowing he played his part like a good puppet, including his eventual obsolescence. You know this, but I'm plagued more by the actions not taken. The what-ifs, the never-dids. And I've got that one may tarnish my reputation even further. Not that you didn't think so lowly of me before, I'm sure. What have I told you? Didn't have to go this way. Transition back to the two-hander scene, again picking off. Picking up where we left off. I'm afraid I wouldn't know where to begin. You're obviously troubled by the state of things on your planet. That's understandable, considering everything the Cardassian Union has gone through in the war and everything you went through to get here again. We've been over this before, Counselor. I know, but sometimes it's good for you to hear it again. It's such a long, complicated story, and some stories don't warrant retelling. Those are the stories that most warrant retelling. Who's that going to help? You're obviously looking for support if you've been reaching out to your old acquaintances. Looking for someone to validate your return to Cardassia. For someone to affirm that the choices you made, we all made, to get you here were the right ones. To tell you that the mistakes you made, even when it wasn't all you in the past, were just that. Mistakes. To forgive you for something you never even really did. I'm not sure we're still just talking about Cardassia now. No. Perhaps we're not. Are you all right, Counselor? You know, I think I will try your letter-writing idea. There's someone I'd really like to talk to. Cut to interior, Esri's quarters on Deep Space Nine, where she is recording another log. Computer, begin another personal log for transmission. Dear Rodek, You've not responded to my recent transmissions, so let me be more direct. My name is Esri Dax. I'm a Starfleet counselor. 
I've been following your case and I'd like to help you with your reported amnesia. I'm sure the Klingon doctors have said they've done all that they can, and I trust that that's true, but they're not working with, um, with the techniques that I have access to from Starfleet Medical. I'm so sorry that this has happened to you, and I'd like to see some progress get made. Please respond. I'd like to make things right. Transition back to the two-hander scene. What do you know about Kern? Worf's brother. I heard he died. What would you say if I told you he hadn't? I'd say I heard that too, but I hear a lot of things. I just feel awful about it. it it's been eating me alive. We wiped away Kern's memory to keep his honor intact. and Is that worth it? Does that make it right? I wish I... I don't know. From what I understand, you didn't do anything. After all, you are not Jadzia. That doesn't matter. You're different people, Ezri. About the most different you can be from each other, I'd say. Well, you might be the one, the only person who treats me like that, including Benjamin. And it doesn't mean I don't still feel guilty. Could he take it back? Take what back? His honor, his house, his identity. Klingon culture is still one of my blind spots after all these years. The House of Moog was enveloped by the House of Martok. I'm sure as counselor, Martok... I'm not talking about Martok. I'm talking about Kern. I don't know! That's the point! No one's given him the opportunity now that it's finally available. All I want to do is ask. Cut to interior, Ezri's quarters on Deep Space Nine, where she is recording another log. Computer, record transmission to Kodak on Konos. Hello again, Rodek. It's Ezri. I'm not sure you're getting these transmissions, but I wanted to try once more. I haven't been entirely forthcoming with you about why I want to get involved in your case. Let me put it this way. My previous host, Jadzia Dax, knew you. Before your amnesia. So I have an information about your identity that you might find very valuable. It would put my mind at ease to talk about this with you. You're more than you think you are. Please respond. Transition back to the two-hander scene. I just want to try. May I ask? For whose benefit? Don't play this game, Garrick. This is not Katra, my dear counselor. I think you should consider that before you write to this man. Whom are you looking to benefit? I just want to help people. It's my job to help people. And when these are... when And when there are these secrets, these buried secrets, sometimes I think you need to unearth them and really start to look at them in order to heal. I'm not sure that's always the case. You know, that doesn't surprise me about you. You've more buried secrets than anyone. There are just some things that are better left alone. Isn't there a Ferengi rule of acquisition to that effect? Treasure buried in quicksand costs more to dig up than it is worth. Probably. But I prefer the Klingon proverb that Kor told me once. Well, I guess he told Curzon, technically. Or was it Jadzia? Anyway, it, it went... When you're already in quicksand, what you need is someone with a branch. I take it you're someone with a branch. It might be a twig, but it's a start. Thank you, Counselor. If you think of anything you might find interesting, you'll be the first to know about it. Cut to that split interior again of both of them independently dictating letters in their respective quarters. Computer, receive new dictation. Add it to the earlier file. Begin personal log for transmission to Rodek on Konos. Can I live with wondering what would have happened? I can no longer live with knowing what happened. 
If I'd played the ace at my sleeve. I need to share this with you. Would it have made a difference? Is it all my fault? Or or... Would it have gone even worse for Cardassia? Was it better than the inevitable, supposedly honorable loophole? The power of one person seems so small when staring at the carnage of an entire planet. It was Jedzia's suggestion, not mine. And yet I'm left with the burden of destroying the mind of a good man. It envelops me. I'm sorry. You never know what would have happened. We can rebuild your memories. His memories. I could have tried. If you let us try. Transition back to the two-hander scene. Here. Garrick takes a data rod out of his pocket and holds it up in front of Ezri. Before she can take it, he moves away and plugs it into a terminal. A hollow projection appears of the female changeling, Wayun, and a Jem'Hadar first standing around a conference table full of Jem'Hadar soldiers. Wayun is leading a strategy meeting as he points to various screens full with star maps highlighted with different armadas. And with the division protecting their flank, the 23rd Jem'Hadar division will begin its thrust to the Maxia sector. They should begin the evasion the following day. This is a copy of the recording you and Sisko gave to Senator Vrenak. The one that showed the Dominion plotting to invade Romulus. On the contrary. Watch. Once we've taken the whole world, organized resistance will crumble when outlying systems and colonies begin to looking out for themselves. Consolidation of the entire Cardassian Union will take three months at most. What if the Cardassian fleet reacts sooner than you anticipated? What if they pull all of their forces away from the Federation border at the first sign of our attack? Why would they? We are their allies. For all they know. Because of this, it will be the best time to strike. They will not be suspecting it, and their reactions will be slow. Certain efforts of the Jem'Hadar on their ships will make certain of this. Will those Jem'Hadar troops then be sacrificed in the battle? Do you not have faith in the Founders? Of course. It will be done. Cut to interior, Garrick's quarters again, where he is doing more letter dictation, more animated this time, pacing and gesticulating as he rants. Computer! Dictation! Continue! Do you understand? I could have proven to my contacts on Gardasia that the Dominion Alliance was alive from the start and they could have fought back! But something stopped me! Why? I've never been stopped by consequences before, even those consequences cost the lives of other Cardassians. I knew it would be worth the risk, but whenever I placed together the chain of events that could befall my people, the walls closed in. My periphery turned white. They'd die anyway, regardless of what I did, but perhaps this could save... But no. The walls. The walls aren't near me, but they expand. My senses are heightened, but they're all wrong. I'm being crushed, and I want to scream, but there's something invading my lungs. It's filling my lungs. It's getting inside. I can't let it inside. I just want to breathe. Why won't, why won't, why won't it let me breathe? Computer, computer, stop recording. Cut to the two-hander scene again. That is only stage one of the attack. As you know, stage two will commence after. Garrick removes the data rod from the panel, <clears throat> and the projection disappears around them. How long have you had this? Since before we got the Romulans into the war. I wasn't sure what to do with it after that. It seemed like a dangerous snake coiled in my pocket that, when you let it out, there's now, there's no way to know who it'll bite first. If you leaked it... Ah! 
was the quandary if I leaked it. You don't know if the Cardassians would have rebelled earlier, if, or if the Dominion wouldn't have just quashed them like they did in the end anyway. And I'll never know. You can't blame yourself. Can't I, though? You do it all the time. That's different. How is it different? Because I... Because you... I've been holding on to this... This poisonous snake in my pocket. And all it's done is hurt me. Because I didn't let it out. And it bites me every day while I'm on this corpse of a planet tormented by what might have been. And it bites me. And it bites me. And damn it, Counselor, I can't take it biting me anymore. Give it to me. That's not going to do anything. Garrick, let it go. Give it to me. Garrick hands her the data rod. She takes a deep look at it. It's fake, isn't it? You can't prove that. Cardassians could. It's a genuine Cardassian optolithic data rod. Cardassians could tell even more easily than Romulans, and they'd just say it was a Federation plot. You say that like the straightforward logical truth matters at a time like these. You're right. And that's why I'm here. Because we're going to keep writing these letters, and it may not get better, but we're going to do the work anyway. Yes. Thank you, Counselor. What's the worst that could happen? Cut to interior, Quotos. Nogra, an older Klingon, is pacing his quarters while dictating a letter. Mm. Lieutenant Dax, this is Nogra, father of Rodek, as you know. I must implore you to cease your attempts to communicate with my son or you will only make things worse for him. You may think what you are suggesting is going to help him, but you do not seem to understand what you are asking of us. The man you think you are communicating with is dead. It would be a disgrace to him and to my house to try to resurrect the name of... I'll not even say it. After all that has happened... And all that I have done to keep Rodek in good standing in Klingon society, I cannot tell you. I cannot let you continue in this misguided attempt at salvation. You and your doctors have done your damage already. Please do not try to fix something you cannot comprehend. If you are looking for forgiveness, you do not need it. Rodek is happy now. We are happy this way. Even if there were a place in a house... For him, and if the Chancellor returned his honor, he could not bear it. Rodek may be a strong warrior, a Klingon, I am proud to say, but he does not have the strength of mind to rebuild himself again. He is my son, and I love him as if he sprang from the loins of my mate. I will not let you take him from me, nor will I let you hurt him again. Do not contact us again. I say good day to you. Cut to interior, Garrick's quarters again, where he is doing more letter dictation. Computer, continue taking dictation of that letter. I keep coming back to that discussion. Well, as of a discussion and more of a confrontation featuring some decent jabs at me of all kinds, that I had with Sisko about Senator Vrenak. Why does it feel justified to me to have so easily sacrificed that nefarious Romulan in order to level the playing field of the war, but I couldn't so much have run off a transmission to potentially save my own people from this atrocity? I would have assassinated 
a dozen free knacks, a hundred, without feeling a twinge of conscience. Was his smug little face? I know a wealth of Cardassians with that same high-handed smirk. Was that he was a Romulan? I've caused death and damage to so many of my own people for the good of the Empire without batting an eye. What was it, then? Could you have done it? Could you merely exult in my self-torture because the time has passed and there's nothing to be done now except for me to rot in my own mind, like a cell I built myself, made up of walls that are increasingly closer and closer and closer. Why do I bother with this letter? It doesn't change anything. It won't change your mind, I already know that. It doesn't move these walls away from my body so I can just breathe. And yet, I keep breathing. I keep writing. I take a breath at a time and a day at a time. What more can I do? Perhaps you can understand that much. All I want is for you to understand why I did what I did. And why I didn't do what I didn't. What I failed to do. What I failed to consider among the endless possibilities. The door buzzer buzzes. Yes? Garrick, it's Esri. Esri Dax. <sighs> Computer, send transmission to the addressed recipient. Transmission sent. Doing? You have received a new transmission. Delete. No. Archive it. Doing. Enter. A moment, and the door opens to reveal Esri standing in the doorway, holding a pad to her chest and looking tentative. I wasn't expecting you for another... Let me see. I'm right on time, Garrick. Are you? My mind must have been someplace else. End of thing! Thing! loved that. Thank it you. Loved it. Let's send it to fucking Garrick and make, make him look at it, because he'll love it. I hope, I hope he would love it. I hope I did any of his character justice. I think so. I thought it was great. Yeah, no, absolutely. I really loved it. Spent Thank the whole you. time wondering who I was writing to, and it made perfect sense in the end. Hey! Yeah. In a very Garrick way. In a very Garrick way. Originally, I was like, he's going to send it to Mila, and then the computer's going to tell him, Mila's dead, and he's going to be like, yeah, I know, send it anyway. But then I was like, no, this is even better. <laughs> I had, Earlier on, I had thought it was either Mila or Anabra and Tane. Yeah, I was thinking Tane. Then I leaned more towards Mila, and then it was Garrick. Yay! It was good. Well, they're, like they're, makes... they're probably his parents anyway, so yeah. they basically are him. Yeah, I, be I believe Andrew Robinson, who thinks who, who who says that they are his parents, so. Yeah, no, as far as I'm concerned, anything he says about Garrick is canon. So. <laughs> like, I wouldn't necessarily believe that about anything anyone else says about their character, but with Garrick, there is enough that is just vague. Yeah, it's really that, cool, too, Like, because um, I, I just finished uh, his novel, and also I was like, oh, God, I hope I don't have anything in my story that's the yeah. same thing in his novel, but, but there is not. And apparently, like, he originally, because, you know, his character is so vague and has so much that you can just kind of fill in, he started throughout the course of D Deep Space Nine writing, like, log entries 
from Garrick, and then he would start reading them at cons, and nice. the people at the cons would be like, you should write a book, and he's like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. That's great. That was, yeah, I love that. Yay, yeah, but you see my my pseudo-cop-out, and I was like, I was like, I'm gonna think so far out of the box that Vreenak and Kern aren't even in it! <laughs> but they are consequential. Yeah. Their spirits so. were there. They're they ghosts. were. I think it counts because they drove so much of the the drama. I think it counts because it was so fucking good that it doesn't matter. That's what <laughs> I think. Yay. I mean, I it's know it doesn't cake. matter, but I love that. Well. Anyway, this was lots and lots of fun. Well, I'll was. be putting the, the stories up on, on our Tumblr page so you can check to see just what parts that Caitlin said, that's mo- that part's not actually in the story, are actually in the story. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, we've wrapped DS9, put a pretty little bow on it. So we are five, Star Trek's 55. She doesn't look a day over 35. Caitlin, how are we celebrating 55 years of Star Trek for the next few weeks? By watching a Star War. What? <laughs> Who planned this? Uh, I think it was Chris. I think it might have been me. Uh, <laughs> oh, Ames, what the fuck? We all know it's re- really Jake. Jake I mean, I really badly needs to see Attack of the Clones again. He does. That's right. Caitlin needs to see it at all, mm-hmm. but doesn't really want to. I'm actually a little mad. I don't want to. It's like, do it with it's us, almost, though. If it's you do like it with you us. Make it, I know, but I'm a novelty. I've never seen it. Kind of like how I've never seen Inception, and I never will. Wow. Inception is quite good. You're actually you're you're depriving yourself of a decent of a decent uh, uh, what's his name Joseph Gordon Levitt. Oh yeah, God, he looks so. He good looks movie. great. He is in just the best cut three piece suits for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. anyway, so we'll do that next week. We will. And actually, that means, is this my last time doing this? Or do I have to do it for Star Wars as war? Uh, I think we're doing it until we officially transition into Voyager. It's still you. All right, fine. It's still me. You're so good at it. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more and don't mind it being about Star Wars during a Star Trek anniversary, you can subscribe and find our podcast uh, where all fine podcasts are sold. We are on Spotify, Stitcher... SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. We're also on Facebook, where you can find us by searching A Star to Steer Her By. You can find us on Twitter and Tumblr at SSHB Podcast, or you can visit our website, SSHBpodcast.com, which is where Ames has already put up our... Uh, oh, I don't know if I have. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, prob- maybe has put up our season wraps and our tops and bottoms. Oh, those are... And, oh, those, yeah. yes, those are up, yeah. And, uh, well, I... And our fan fiction will eventually be there too. Uh, you, so you can, you know, if you like the teleplays, you could, uh, you know, read them yourself with your friends and then send it to us. That'd be cool. And send it to Andy Robinson. Dude, yeah. And everyone, then I'll faint. All 10 of our fans need to send this to Andy Robinson. Is he on Twitter? I don't know. I well, hope not for his sake. Well, let's find out. But yeah, next week, join us as we discuss. The movie that that started it all, a Star Wars, A New Hope. And then after that, you know, Empire will strike back. There'll be a Jedi returning. We'll uh, do, uh, what's the other one? The prequels. Fa- the Phantom Menace. Phantom There'll Menace. be Clone Wars. There'll be Sith stuff. What's the fucking third movie called? Is it Revenge of the Sith? Yes. 
Yes, That's interesting because they were originally going to call it Revenge of the Jedi, but then they turned it to Return of the Jedi. Kind of feels like an homage to that, but with a really shitty movie. It's uh, like poetry. It rhymes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the then, and then The Force Awakens, because that's the one we also hadn't covered from the new shit. Mm, yes. Oh, right. Which one is that? The first one? Yeah. Rather, episode seven, I guess? Yeah, seven, that's because it, with... it aired, it um, released before we started doing this pod thing. Like fools. Uh, right. Like fucking fools. <laughs> yeah, that that's the one with Kylo Ren. That's yeah. true. So the only uh, the only Andrew Robinson I'm finding on Twitter is um, some young gentleman who mostly tweets about soccer and American football. Send him this teleplay. <laughs> He'll be so confused. <laughs> Andrew, we think you'll love it. Well, oh, good good job, everybody. Yes, yeah. good work. And, uh, I don't know which rule of acquisition it was, but uh, you know. Treasure that's already in quicksand is going to cost more to get it out than what it's worth. Did you make that up, Ames? I did. I love it. And I think it would fit right in with the other rules it of acquisition. Would. And Ooh. you know they got quicksand on Ferenginar because it is damp as fuck. Mmm. True. All right. Well, good night, everybody. Woo. Good night, Seattle. We love you. Bye bye. Bonus. Hate that fucking word. <laughs> <laughs> because I always thought, sorry, always thought they were saying Kronos. I think always. sometimes they are. Okay, yeah. but then it's spelt like fucking Quiznos with a bunch of shit missing. <laughs> and the only thing I can think when I look at that is Quonos. Then you sound like fucking Elmer Fudd trying to say Kronos. It's Quonos. Uh, <laughs> you know? I don't know. Anyway, sorry to do that. Quiznos with a bunch of shit missing. That's right. Subway mm, eat fresh. Okay. Now. And Esri has some weird letters that she writes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right?